our main goal was to do these home visits to find out more about the students' cultures and to really find out about the parents' former education and their level of literacy in their native language and their family literacy practices, what jobs that they had before and ask them what they need. And then from there, um, we would be able to kind of form the rest of the school year and how we use the rest of the grant to support what they say they needed from us. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. What are some best practices to overcome challenges and ensure successful home visits for families of EL students? How might we set up activities outside of school in neutral locations so that families can come together? How can districts use creative funding approaches to pay for these programs? And how can educators get started with this important work? We discuss these questions and much more with Jamie Combs. Jamie is a National Board Certified EL teacher in her 14th year teaching EL students at Northern Elementary in Lexington, Kentucky. She also teaches future EL teachers in ESL methods courses online for Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. This is the second in a two-part series featuring Katie Francis and Jamie Combs, who work collaboratively to maximize impact on ELs and their families in Fayette County, Kentucky. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's get started. Hello, Jamie. Welcome to Highest Aspirations. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. We had a chance to um, chat with your colleague, Katie, and really excited to chat with you now about some of the things, some of the great things that you all are doing um, in Fayette with your English language learners. So I know a lot of the work that you're doing on behalf of your English language learners there is about uh, building capacity for families and teachers. And you were awarded a grant to support immigrant uh, families, uh, immigrant students and their families. Um, but before we get into the details of what you're actually doing with those funds, I'd love it if you could explain um, how you went about securing this grant. That is something that is a mystery to many people, and I'd love yes. to kind of start there. Okay, sure. Um, so the grant that we applied for was offered to us by our district's personnel, um, but it originally came from federal money that was provided to the state, and the state dispersed it to the districts where immigrants were residing, and then the district decided how they wanted to spend that money. And so they've used it in a variety of ways over the years, but this year they decided to um, let teachers write a proposal for how they would use the funds. And Katie and I um, worked together to come up with a plan for how we would use the money. Um, they offered $7,000 grants to, I think, five different schools. And um, so we came up with a proposal and submitted it. And then it was reviewed by committee and scored. And we happened to be one of the schools that was awarded that money. Great. Well, congratulations. I mean, it sounds like a lot of it is, first of all, finding that these uh, grants are available and then taking the time to actually um, go ahead and apply for them, which, which I imagine can be a bit of a process, but probably something that's worth doing. Absolutely. I love to write grants because it's free money and it gives me a chance to be creative and come up with a project or, uh, you know, an idea that I want to make happen. And then we find someone who will pay for it for us. <laughs> so it lets us um, do things that aren't within our regular school budget. And we can kind of extend what we're doing in the classroom and make things a little bit more fun and interesting for our students and for their families. 
Absolutely. And so you're an important part of that formula that I feel like in a lot of the schools I worked at, we, we didn't necessarily have somebody who loved writing grants per se, but boy, it'd be nice if we could get one of those people in every school. That would make, that yeah. would make a big difference to apply your creativity and skills to do something like that. Absolutely. So I, getting into kind of what now what you did with, with this money, um, you and I are going to focus quite a bit on the family engagement piece and specifically the, the home visits, which were mm-hmm. a big part of your, of your vision. So what were your main goals um, in establishing the practice of going out on these home visits when you started? Sure. Um, okay, so we had this opportunity to use this money, and we weren't um, 100% sure on what our families needed. And so our main goal was to do these home visits to find out more about the students' cultures and um, to really find out about the parents' former education and their level of literacy in their native language <clears throat> and their um, family literacy practices, what jobs that they had before, and um, and then go from and ask them what they need. And then from there, um, we would be able to kind of form the rest of the school year and how we use the rest of the grant to support what they say they needed from us. Yeah, all hugely important. And and in the other episode we speak with, with your colleague, Katie Francis, I know she talked a lot of, about, you know, the difference between kind of the perception of the student's culture, or perhaps actually the true student's culture versus the culture of their families. So getting mm-hmm. into the homes and understanding that, I imagine, was crucial. Absolutely. So walk us through it. What is a typical, so actually, let me, let me back up a little bit. I think home sure. visits for, like I worked on, um, on a family engagement, uh, online course at the Harvard Graduate School of Education about three years ago um, with with Karen Mapp, who's pretty well renowned on, on family engagement. And that course, um, I'll just say, is available for free on HarvardX if anybody's interested. But one of the things that I sort of learned when researching and speaking with people is there's a lot of people that are kind of afraid of this idea of, of a home visit, both about the, the time that it entails um, and kind of what you actually do when you go on a home visit, how a family reacts. So could you walk us through what a typical home visit looks like and maybe even um, sort of address some of those ideas about, you know, the kind of the, the, the fear of doing it and the time commitment? Absolutely. So you really did kind of touch on something with uh, teachers kind of being fearful of, um, you know, just doing it and being in a stranger's home. Um, but then also, Uh, knowing how to do it. So one of the things that Katie and I did was we said our teachers need some training on how to conduct a home visit. Um, So we looked into that and then um, and then the time commitment you said we wanted to make sure that our teachers were paid for their time. So we used a portion of our grant money to provide stipends to our staff members who attended home visits outside of regular school hours. Cause some families aren't available during the regular school day. And then some of our teachers are not available during the regular school day. So we were able to do home visits after school and on Saturdays and pay teachers for their time. Great. Um, but to get back to your other question about what does a typical home visit look like, we always start by providing a gift to the family. And so our gift this year is actually a little tote bag. Um, it says Northern Elementary School on it, and it's full of school supplies and a children's book. Um, and we give that to the families because we've heard from the students that they don't have pencils and crayons and those kinds of things to finish homework at home. Um, You know, or they'll they'll be in class and they'll be coloring a picture and the teacher's like, okay, we got to stop. And, you know, the teacher might say to them, well, you'll finish coloring at home. And they say, well, we don't have crayons at home. So we wanted to make sure we provided 
those items to the students and the purpose of the school or the yeah the school supplies is that they keep them at home and they're not um, ones that they have to bring to school um, you know to fulfill that teacher's school supply list um, so we always start with the gift and then we make sure that we start out by saying to the parents we're not here to pry and to be nosy um, we're really here because we want to learn more about your family and your children and to learn more about your culture and we want to know how we can better support you and your children. Um, so I think that's laying the groundwork because a lot of them are like, why are you here? You sure. know? Um, and then from there we go through a list of questions that we came up with. And of course, if um, we need to do some more digging, we can go off script a little bit. And then um, towards the end, we follow up with, uh, do you have any questions for us? And what do you need from us? So how can we now support you and your family? Um, and then if the family doesn't come up with things that they need, you know, they seem to hesitate to ask for anything, um, we'll give them some suggestions of what other people have asked for. And then, you know, they'll say, oh, did you say blankets? Well, yeah, we could use some blankets. Um, yeah, kind of opening the door, right? Yes, yes. So uh, I think that little process of how we just start with a gift and tell them why we're there and then ask the questions and then follow up with, now what do you need? Um, by the end of it, you know, they feel more comfortable to come to us when they have a need. And, and now when we see them or we go to drop off things that they've asked for, then they greet us with a big hug and they, um, they definitely feel more comfortable around us. Yeah. I mean, you've established a relationship starting with that, with that gift. That's not, that there's a well thought out gift. And I love it that yeah. it, you know, the tote bag kind of has, it has the name of the school or the district on it. Yes. Yeah, which yeah. is great. I mean, it's like, here, welcome to our community. You're a part of it. So they're walking around with this thing and hopefully, mm -hmm. and I mean, ideally they see people who, who have it as well and they're making connections. Um, oh, absolutely. And then, you know, these resources aren't just, not just like this little, uh, you know, it's a well thought out gift, something that these these kids need, but you're also not, you know, I imagine there's, there's some people who, um, who have, uh, I'm sure a lot of people who have a, a lot of pride and have, have a hard time kind of accepting mm -hmm. um, gifts, but these are um, related to school, right? And so there are things yes. that, that, that their kids can use, which I think is, is amazing. And I think like more than anything else, you, you, it sounds like you've done a good job like thinking about not only uh, the day of the home visit, but where it's all going to lead, establishing that rapport, establishing a relationship um, with the families. Right. So I, a quick follow-up question as I think about this process, what are you doing um, when you're there and there's a, there's a language barrier? Okay, so we always try to schedule an interpreter to be there with us. So we make sure we have at least two staff members and an interpreter when necessary. Um, and if there happens to be a language that we don't have an interpreter available. We use the language line uh, call service. Um, so we are still able to communicate with them in their native language. So we make sure the language barrier is not a problem for us. Great. Yeah. And I know that, um, that Katie had mentioned that, uh, that service, the language line, and we'll, we'll link a resource, uh, link, put a link to that resource as well, because that's now been mentioned a couple of times. I imagine that's a, that's a pretty important resource for you. Yes, it very much so. <laughs> Great. So I, uh, you know, you, you kind of got into this a little bit, but I'd love to hear kind of the, the, the kind of aha moments that maybe you had with these, with these home visits in terms of your learning. Can you think of um, a couple, maybe three or four, like main learnings that you took away from these as you started doing them? Yes. So one thing that 
we really, we suspected, but then it was confirmed for us. Um, we asked the parents about their previous schooling and what jobs they had in their home countries. And then we went through all of the interviews that we had done and we made a list of all of their, um, like the people that have college degrees in their first country or home country and all of the people's jobs in their home country. And then we made a list of the jobs that they have here in the United States. And the jobs that they originally had was a huge range from um, working in law, banking, marketing, barber, butcher, teacher's assistant, basically chemist, biologist, you name it, we probably had one. <laughs> and then the jobs that they have here in the United States is a really short list that includes factory work, seamstress, um, roofing, flooring, housekeeping, and that's about it. And so you can see that there's a huge disconnect between their skills from their home country and what they're doing here for income for their family. Yeah. Um, so that was something that we wanted to make sure we addressed. And all of those families said uh, the language is a barrier for them. And so we wanted to make sure that we help them overcome that language barrier. And so we decided, um, and we had planned on doing it anyway, but it really confirmed for us that we were in the right direction, that we wanted to offer ESL classes for the parents. Um, and our hope is that it would lead them to better employment within the United States if they know the language and they're able to communicate fully in English. So right. that is one of our directions that we're going. That's great. So it's not only a learning experience, but an, an action item. And I think you're hitting on something that's, that's really crucial. And we've talked about it before on, on the podcast. We did an episode with Helen Thorpe, who's the author of um, The Newcomers, which is a really mm -hmm. great book. Um, and I'd, I'd highly recommend it. But she, she was basically embedded in a, in a classroom, a newcomer classroom in Denver, uh, Colorado for a year. And she had the opportunity, like you, to do many home visits and interview lots of families um, of the students uh, that, that, that she was um, observing in class. And she, she found, and she writes about it in the book, the same thing that you found, which is that a lot of these people are highly skilled people um, that are extremely dignified people who come here and find that, yeah, the language barrier is in fact, and you know, like you said, it's, it's something that we suspect, but for you to make a list and really go through that and think about, okay, what can we do to solve this problem? I mean, I think that's great. Really, I, you deserve a lot of credit for that. And it's something that, uh, that we're seeing quite a bit. Um, and, and I think like, you know, you're, you're getting down to the, to, the, to the personal level. You're really meeting people and understanding not only what they need, but what they can provide. And that gets to the kind of asset based nature of our students and our families who are, who are coming into the, to the country. Right. Great. So I want to shift over to, um, obviously you are really passionate, um, about this as is Katie. I'm curious if, um, if you had any problems or challenges, uh, getting other teachers or educators on board and doing the home visits, given some of the challenges and maybe trepidation that we talked about earlier. Right. Um, so Katie and I thought that our teachers would be hesitant to want to do this. We thought it's just going to be one more thing that they have to do, um, you know, that they, they wouldn't necessarily embrace it. Um, but we found that that's the complete opposite of what happened, that we've had people who came to us and said, you know, sign me up. I want to help. Um, and it's been more than just classroom teachers. We've had the school principal who's attended home visits with us. We've had paraeducators, social workers, um, our family resource center coordinator has gone with us 
and then our classroom teachers when they are able to go meet with the family that of a student that they have in their classroom. So it's really been a wide variety or range of people within the school building who have um, really stepped up to the plate and helped us with these. So we really have not had any trouble finding enough people to knock these home visits out. That's great. And I can imagine that it must be like kind of a, you know, like a snowball effect as, as it starts rolling, it must just get bigger and bigger. And other people must say, well, boy, I need to be involved in this. This is clearly making an impact. Absolutely. One of the things that we do is after each home visit, you know, besides just finding out the information, then we have to disperse it to the people who need to know it. Um, so after every home visit, we write a summary and we email it to the people that, um, you know, are crucial to that child's life. And from there, I think people have started to see like, wow, this is a really heart-wrenching story and I want to get in on this and meet with these families and, and get to know them as well. So like you said, I think once the ball got rolling, then we definitely had more people who were interested in helping out. Sure. And that, that's hitting on the very foundation of what it means to be an educator, which I think is, uh, is, is basically helping people, helping the students. But in order to help the students, you really need to understand their families and their backgrounds. Yes. So uh, we talked about the home visits, which I think is crucial um, and clearly something that's going really well in, uh, in your district. Um, but I know that one other thing that you've, you've tried to accomplish is, is to get uh, families together outside of schools. Um, and you've set up these, these family nights. And I've spoken with a few other people who have done this. Um, it's not something that we've talked about yet on the podcast, though. So I'm, I'm interested to know how that is set up, how you get people um, involved in activities outside of the school. What are some of the things you're doing there? Sure. So kind of our goal for our home visits, of course, was to set the foundation that the parents feel comfortable coming to us. And so um, we're actually kind of taking baby steps here. And instead of asking them to come straight to the school, we've asked them to come to a place that's within walking distance of their home. So our family night is at a public library that's just down the street and around the corner from where the majority of our immigrant families live. And we've partnered with that library and so um, like last night, we had a family night where we talked about world culture and we had um, the librarian also come in and talk about the resources that are available through the public library, such as ESL classes, um, the library card and checking out books, of course, and having books available in other languages. Um, and then we also partnered with the Living Arts and Science Center, which is local to Lexington, and they do some um, things called Wonders on Wheels, where they have a, a van that pulls up and um, they'll do a presentation at your location. And so last night they talked about world culture and brought maps for the students. And we did some family activities with art and music. Um, and then we also provided a little bit of food for them because we know food is a need. So we make sure that we fill their bellies when they're there with us. Um, and so we have several different family nights scheduled for the rest of the school year, and we choose a topic for each um, night that we think our families need to know. Um, and at every family night, the students leave with a book, because that's another thing that we found when we've been asking about their family literacy practices, which is another focus that Katie and I have, um, is that a lot of them don't have children's books in their home. They only have access to the books that they bring home from the school library or the books that their classroom teachers have that they get to take home and, and bring back. Um, so we want to give them books that they get to keep at home and help them build a home library as well. So every family night they come to, they get to leave with a book related to that family night. 
Um, so we're, we did world culture. Um, next is going to be Kentucky culture, so they can learn about us. And then we have an art night that's going to be um, one of those where um, you get to paint on canvases and that's going to be led by our art teacher. And then we have an animal show where we have some live animals coming. And then another one is a field trip to a place called Safety City. That's a little small town with stoplights and little fake buildings and streets. And they're going to learn about um, the rules of the road and pedestrian safety and, um, you know, bicycle safety, fire safety, and all those kinds of things that I think is crucial for people who are new to the country to know. Great. This is an, another example of how, like, speaking with different people, and as you were speaking, I thought of um, of two people and two other episodes that we've done. One, uh, Renata Germino, who does a program called Bridges Through Bread um, in Charlottesville, where she basically puts cooking nights together for for new families, and, and these um, immigrant families will cook meals from their homes, um, and then they'll leave with something as well. And then I was also thinking of a woman named Donna Neary, who's in Jefferson, uh, Kentucky, and she... Um, does a lot of project-based learning stuff, but she partners with a lot of local museums. So I guess what I'm getting at here is I think that you have also um, established lots of relationships um, with organizations in the community um, mm -hmm. that allow you to not only get these folks outside of the schools and outside of their homes, but I feel like you have this, and I keep thinking this is the wrong expression to use, but I'm going to use it anyway, just because I think it's, <laughs> it might be appropriate. Like there's this kind of Trojan horse approach where like you're having fun and you're doing things and you're meeting people. But I, I, I'm struck by like everything that you talk about, there's an intentional uh, design where either you leave with a book or you learn the rules of the road, but it's not like the 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 focus, right? Because you're not going to get right. people into these things if you say, "Hey, like, come on in, and we're going to teach you how to drive the right way." You know, it's more, <laughs> right. but, but that's a part of it, which I think is huge. Right, exactly. Um, and I had a thought while you were talking, and it, I think it has escaped me. Um, oh, you were talking about the connection with community partners and stuff. Yep. And that is something that I have, I didn't realize it when I was kind of a new teacher, how important it is to that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> to, to network with other people. And, um, and we've really benefited from, you know, and some of them are like paid presenters that we bring in, but also um, through some of the events that we've had, we've brought in um, people from the bank who have then said, this was a great event. We would love to be able to help you with food for your next one. So they're willing to like pay for dinner for the next family night or, um, or we've had the living arts and science center has contacted us before, after we used them and paid for their services, then they reached out and said, we have some extra money left over in a grant and we can provide a free program for you guys. Do you want in? And, and so just networking with people has really benefited all of us, you know? Yeah, it's awesome. And it's funny, like, it's just so much of it is just that uh, just ask approach, um, you know, right. just just reach out to people. I think as teachers, I'll speak for myself. I mean, I have a tendency, I think even the folks I work with um, here at Elevation would tell you that, that I have a tendency to kind of overthink things and overanalyze. And like, you, you get to a point where it's just this, you know, analysis paralysis, I guess, where it's like, you got to just stop thinking about things and just do them. And, and, and I mean, clearly you have this, this, um, this program well thought out, but when it comes to, you know, like questioning whether or not you should invite a particular community event, uh, community, um, uh, organization or whether or not they'd be interested when it really comes down to it, it's just a matter of asking, you know, letting people know what you're doing. And, and, and generally people are, people want to help. I mean, in general, people are good and they, 
and they are um, are willing to help. And and perhaps more importantly, they have as much to gain from these programs as the yes. the, the people for whom they're designed. Yeah, and you actually just reminded me, we had a substitute in here the other day, and I was telling her um, what all we were doing with our immigrant families, and she made the suggestion that we should reach out to some of the bicycle shops, because they will refurbish bicycles and then donate them, and I thought, what a great idea, because that would help some of our families that live a little bit further away from the library to be able to just ride their little bicycle down there and then they can join us as well for our family nights. And we wouldn't have known that or thought of that if it hadn't been for just kind of word of mouth. Yeah. It's genius, right? But you just, you know, if you don't involve a lot of people, then you don't get a lot of input. Right. Exactly. Great. Well, here's the key question for anybody who's listening. People I'm sure are listening and thinking this is amazing. And, you know, they've done this incredible job and they've been doing it for a while. So, you know, we want to kind of spread the wealth and and let people uh, use ideas from others. So my question is, how, how would you recommend that um, educators in other districts get started with this kind of work? What's the first step? What's the like, what lessons have you learned that would help others? Have you made any mistakes that you can kind of share that would help others kind of avoid them? Yeah, absolutely. So um, really, I think it comes down to planning in the beginning. So when you have your Title I and Title Three funds, you can decide that part of that money is going to be earmarked for, um, you know, supporting these families or doing these kinds of activities. Um, and then also getting your principals on board with, uh, you know, the activities and the home visits and getting their support for these things. And also just being responsive to the needs of the families. So what works for Katie and I may not be what your families need necessarily. So um, definitely look into what would be best for the population that you are serving. Great. Yeah. And at the end there, I hear you silly. This is human centered design. You got to design it around the people that, that, uh, that, that you're serving. And I'll, I mean, I'll add that just like, you know, whether it's here on this podcast or in other places, read about or listen to or watch or learn from people that are doing this. Um, I think that's hugely important because the, the more that I do this uh, and interview people, the more I realize the, these things are happening. Um, the, the challenge is that they're happening in silos. And so people aren't always learning from one another, um, which is kind of where we're trying to do is amplify voices. And, but these things are happening and there's dedicated educators like you doing this um, around the country and probably around the world. We just need to, uh, to come together and figure out some best practices so that it's happening uh, not only in Fayette and in Jefferson and the other places I mentioned, but, but around the country in every community. Yeah. And one other thing I would say is don't be afraid to ask for help with it. So, um, you know, ask other people in your building if they'd be willing to tackle projects like this with you and um, ask local community people if they can contribute to it, such as the bank providing um, funds to buy the food for these family nights and stuff. So don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad you mentioned that. Okay. Well, as we wrap up again in the spirit of sharing, I would love to know if there is a book or a resource that has had um, an important impact on you, either professionally or personally, where we're building our ever-growing library of resources that we like to share with people. And I'd love to hear what uh, what you'd like to add to that. Sure. Um, so I am um, a huge fan and um, basically... Ron Clark is um, someone that I have attended the training there and read a lot of the books. So um, the book that comes to mind is the Move Your Bus book by Ron Clark because I just have um, that picture in my mind of 
the driver of the bus is kind of the leader of the organization. And then you have the people that are runners and they are making that bus move super quickly and pushing it forward. But then sometimes you have those people who are not pulling their weight and they're just the riders on the bus. Um, and so I always kind of think of myself as I want to be a runner. I want to be kind of moving forward with everything and constantly moving and constantly improving. Um, so that, that's always just kind of in my mind of like, well, now that I've done this, what, how can I make it better? How can I keep, keep going and keep, keep improving? Awesome. Well, we'll link to that resource um, in the uh, written portion of this blog or this podcast in the notes um, and, and link to any other resources that you have as well. So final question, is there another way that people can learn more um, about what you're doing? Is there a place people can go to find out um, more if they're interested? Um, well, I don't necessarily have a website or anything, but um, Katie mentions that we'll be presenting at the Kentucky Reading Association Conference at the um, first weekend of November in Louisville. Um, and other than that, just through email or um, reaching out to me at the school, uh, we definitely are open to talking to anyone. Um, one of the things that I would love to get out of this experience is people who have tried these kinds of things and can share their ideas with us so that, like I said, continuous improvement, um, things that we may not have thought of. So I would definitely encourage anyone to come see us at the Kentucky Reading Association Conference in November or send us emails and let us know what you're doing. Great. And the, the, the timeline for when this, this is published, I realize, is, is probably going to be pretty quick. But if you can get over there, um, that would be great. And I will link to all of the resources that, uh, that were mentioned um, in this interview and the one with, with Katie Francis. So, Jamie, um, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and talk with us about this wonderful program. I think you've given us not only um, a description of the wonderful things that you're doing there in Fayette, but you've definitely given us some inspiration and I would even say some actionable um, tools that we can use uh, to replicate this. So thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.